Wednesday night, we had an event um, with an Orthodox musician, Yair, and a woman named Corrine, who was uh, Arab Lebanese, and then we had Sean. So um, the way it came about is Corrine had heard this number one song uh, that Yair had put out in Israel um, during the lockdowns. And she lived in Lebanon as uh, an Arab Christian, but lived in Lebanon, heard the song and translated into Arabic, and it became very popular in Lebanon. She felt as though the Lord wanted her to connect Sean with Yair. She'd only talked to Yair over the phone and over the internet, um, but contacted, tried to contact Sean in a uh, direct message, DM him on his Facebook or whatever, and never got through. Um, and then I invited Sean to go to Israel and he agreed and he and Kate went with us and we were over there and he got a, a text from Yair saying, would you want to sing together? And he asked me, what do you think about an Orthodox guy? I go, you know what? Orthodox people don't really do stuff like that. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, let's have him. So we did it, uh, the evening, everyone had jet lag, but it was a tremendous concert and, um, Yair is, which is rare for the Orthodox community, he is part of the IDF, uh, Israeli Defense Force. He's Special Forces, actually the equivalent Navy SEAL. And um, he sang with Sean, and when Corrine saw the connection, she reached out knowing Yair, and the three of them connected over this song. She felt as though God wanted Sean, Yair, and her to sing it in Arabic, Hebrew, and English. And so um, the Israeli government gave one of their special forces unit uh, men permission to come to the United States during war to come specifically to record that song and to sing here at Godspeak on Wednesday night. Yeah. And we called it a night of hope for Israel. And um, we, we, they all met down at a studio um, down in the valley and they recorded the song. And then uh, the very first time they played it in public live was here, God Speak on Wednesday night. And it was powerful, profound. It was just um, an amazing evening. We, we put up a offering, you know, whatever was given that night in the box and whatever came in online in regards to that, we'd give to the three entities. And the generosity was overwhelming uh, online and here as well. And it was a, a great blessing because Yair's giving it to a specific nonprofit organization that's helping with the mobilization. And John's doing the same. And then Corrine, um, when she recorded with Yair, the Lebanese government of her nation said she can never return. That's very interesting, isn't it? How dare you sing with an Orthodox Jew? You're not welcome back to your country. Tragic. We're watching as 25 and youngers are almost 80%. I was looking at it earlier. It's almost 80% are in agreement that, um, or that Pal the Palestinians were justified in the murder of the concert goers and the decapitation of children. Um, they have been indoctrinated to think that, that there's, there's a, a place called Palestine and there's such thing as Palestinians, which is a Roman invention. Um, there's never been a nation. It's not like they, they at the diaspora for 1,800 years, wandered aimlessly and were spread throughout all the world and then returned uh, with the Balfour Agreement. The, the, the Jews had occupied that region since the diaspora. 
And um, we've covered all of that, this replacement theology and the dangers of the indoctrination of our younger children, and you're watching riots break out. And um, my wife was supposed to go over to England uh, to help with somebody who was speaking at the, the debates. And because of Hamas being so overwhelming, they, they couldn't get a security detail big enough, so they just canceled the trip because they're direct uh, targets of Hamas. So it's, it's interesting, but the thing that I take great joy in is in the midst of inflation that we haven't seen, I, I haven't in my lifetime, maybe with Carter, but I don't remember those years much. We're watching as, as we have the highest taxes in the land in the state of California, and, and not only are you faithful and generous to the fellowship, but extracurricularly with, with folks coming in from Israel and the blessings, you combine all of the charitable giving given by all of Western Europe and multiply it by four, it doesn't equal what America gives. You're the most generous people on the face of the earth, and that's because the Lord loves a cheerful giver, not out of guilt or compulsion. We are generous because that is our heritage, and I want to take this time to thank the Lord for blessing us in that. Amen? Amen? Let's do that. Lord, we, we do thank you for your provision we can never outgive you. You allow us to keep 90 and, and we get to give you. We get to give you 10. And I know that we're not under the law and grace is greater than the law. So however anyone wants to calculate their life. But Lord, we're so grateful for the way in which you operate and the way in which you bless. So Lord, would you bless those who've been so generous, faithful? Lord, would you show them your righteous right hand. Strengthen them and their families. Bless all they put their hand to, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I'm excited about this passage because not only did Corrine sadly not be permitted back into her country, but that night, Yair and his sitar player, I can't remember what kind of instrument it was, the two of them immediately had to deploy to the front lines. Uh, and as you know, the... the um, the, the ground battle has begun. They've, they've gone into the Gaza um, and uh, they're, they're shelling that area as we speak. Now their sovereign border was invaded. Their people were kidnapped. Their children were massacred and it's war. And the world wants to declare on how someone else is to dictate their war, but um, their sovereign borders were invaded. However you feel about the Israelites, the, the Jews, however you feel about them, whether you're replacement theology and you think the church has taken the place of God's people, um, which I, I don't know how you can present that theologically. I'd, I'd love to have the debate in regards to that. But however you feel about the Jews, it, it boils down to one thing. You can't deny the fact that their borders have been invaded. You just, you just can't. Now, you, you, you may rejoice that their borders were invaded because you despise them. You're anti-Semitic because you've been indoctrinated to that capacity. Um, they're, they're, they're going to be successful and, and it's, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be a bloody war. Now, America has to be mindful. I, I think there are members of the Israeli government that were complicit in, in, in not sharing the intelligence they knew of. I think there are government officials in the U.S. that are complicit in relation to all this. And, and 
so we'll see how it all comes together. But pray for them. Pray for the innocent civilians in the Gaza. Um, you know, the, the death toll is going to be high. Pray for them, please. And, and listen, this isn't Israel's first battle, nor is it their last. They are placed in the center of a hotbed that rejects truth and absolutes, permits lying so that you can deceive your enemy. We look at these things and you wonder, will Israel survive? Well, that's Joshua 13. Not only did they survive, but they also increased their boundaries. The, the, the growth of Israel has come through defensive measures that they've gained ground in time of war. War they didn't start, but responded to. And then they return it piece by piece. But the full occupation of the promised land happened under Joshua. And chapter 13 shows a division to each of the 12 tribes and the two half tribes. And you look at that and then it comes to a place where it looks at one more person. You have Joshua and you also have a fellow by the name of Caleb. He's in chapter 14 of Joshua. You see, Joshua and Caleb are the only members of their generation that were permitted to enter into the promised land. They're the only old people there. Joshua's probably in his 90s and Caleb is 85. They're the only older people that were permitted into the promised land. And the reason why is because when they sent out the 12 spies to spy out the land, only Joshua and Caleb came back with a positive um, encouragement to the people to take the land. The rest tried to scare the daylights out of them about giants in the land and Anakin and on and on and on. Well, because of their positive statement to the Israelites, God allowed Caleb and Joshua to enter into the promised land, something that Moses didn't even get to do. And so we're going to take a look at that. Because after they had entered, after they had accomplished all that God had asked them to do, the land rested from war. There will be a time of rest from war in Israel. And we're planning to go in February. I'm hoping it's concluded by then. I'm optimistic. We'll see. We were the first group in after the COVID restrictions. Everyone thought we'd be tested and have things prodded up our nose. I said, trust me. Our intelligence says we're going to be fine when we land, and we were. And, and I believe the same thing. We'll be on the, the cutting edge of that, and whether it's time to go or time to remain back. But I, I was thinking in regards to all of this, that not only were Caleb and Joshua committed to completing everything that God had said, they committed to doing that in their later eight days of, of time on this earth, they're what many would consider to be old. I don't think they're old, I just think they're older. I think that old is a mindset. Old is apathy. Old is giving up. Old is to think you're worthless or you don't make a difference. Old is self-focused and self-consumed. You love to tell everyone about your problems and your aches and your pains and the list of medications that you're on. And nobody cares. They want you to be happy, and happy meaning if a man desires to gain his life, he must first lose it, and you lose it in service to others. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant of all. There's two examples. Joshua is going to be one of them, and again, Caleb's going to be the other. They're older. They're not old. They're just older, but they're ready to go. And that's what God showed me in this passage. I'm looking at this congregation and I've watched a number of young families leave. More people have left the state of California than came here during the Dust Bowl. 
the folks who have the ability to hold on longer under the highest taxes in the nation, the folks that have the ability to hold on longer are those that have established themselves in a mode of what would be considered retirement. Their investments are stable, their home is paid for, they have a foothold, they're able to weather the increase in costs of living in this state. And we say it's so expensive because the views are so great, but it's now getting to a point where people would leave for the flatlands of West Texas or the deserts of Nevada. And the only reason they're doing that is because of bad government. And so here we have the folks that have the ability to hold strong. And you know who they are? They're the gray-haired ones. They're the Caleb's and the Joshua's. They're the ones that can make a difference, but if their life is one of self-indulgence and pleasure and retirement, which cover to cover, I've read the Bible, I've never seen the word retirement there. God establishes a place where you can be more active in the things that probably matter most because your, your need to be a provider and a protector has moved to the next generation as those young men have come in and married your daughters or your sons have gone on to start their own families. Now you're no longer responsible for those. Now you're responsible for making a difference where you live and you're holding on in a community that you're invested in. You see, when I first started at Godspeak 22 years ago, April 1st, 2001, all the wisdom that I was given by other pastors who I'd called, knowing that I'd never pastored a church before, told me that the first hires I need to make is a youth director, worship leader, and a children's ministry director. 22 years into this, I'll tell you, they were wrong. The most prolific and profound group at Godspeak is without exception, the Sunshiners. There are 55 and older. They are passionate about their community, they have disposable income, and they're committed with their time. If I had to do it all over again 22 years ago, the first thing I'd do is shore up and strengthen the Sunshiners ministry. But Christendom today overlooks the elderly. They bypass them, they just want you to write your checks and shut up. You're just giving units and you're you're bothersome because you take too much time and you want music a certain way and you're picky. Well, so be it. We all are picky, music's subjective, but they overlook you, they just want your money. But I'll tell you, it's, it's the most profound organization in a church simply because they have invested and given their lives to this cause and it's dear to them and they're inspiring. Well, that's Caleb, that's Joshua. And I want this to be a blessing to all of you this day. So with that being said, would you stand for the reading of the word of God, Joshua 13. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. I'm going to jump around a little bit because there's 30 verses. And it's really talking about the boundaries of the division of the lands for each of the, the, the 12 tribes and the two half tribes. Now Joshua was old, advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old, advanced in years. He's like Spock, you know. You're old and advanced in years. Yes, I just said that. Well, you're very old and very much advanced in years. Yet it, as the Lord repeats the statement, you are old and advanced in years, he says, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. He sees in, an, in a 90-year-old man that there's still work to be done. 
You know, I always say I'm immortal until God's done with me or I'm immortal because God's given me a super, a, a specific amount of, of tasks to accomplish before I go home. And, and I'm so far behind, I'm going to live forever is a kind of joke. But, but God does have work that he intends for us to do on this earth, and that's for Joshua as well. Verse 2, this is the land that yet remains all the territory of the Philistines and all of the Geshurites from Sehor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron, northward, which is counted as Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, Ashadites, the Ashkenazites, the Gittites, the Ekronites, also the Avites from the south and all the land. And you can see how they're giving the boundaries and they're giving the cities and they're going to take this land that's yet to be divided and break it out amongst the northern tribes, the southern tribes, and they're going to place everybody. And it's according to the desires of God and what he seeks to do. Verse 8, with the other half tribe, the Reubenites, the Gadites, received their inheritance, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given them. It goes through all of these. And then verse 13, nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites and the Maakathites, but the Geshurites and the Maakathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. Only to the tribe of Levi, he had given no inheritance. The sacrifice of the Lord of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. Moses also had given inheritance to the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was for the half-tribe of the children of Manasseh, according to their families. Their territory was from Mahanaim, um, all Bashan, all the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and all the towns of Jair, which are in Bashan, 60 cities, half of Gilead, Ashtaroth, Edrai, cities of the kingdom of Og, Bashan, were for the children of Mahir, the son of Manasseh, and half of the children of Mahir, according to their families. These are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance in the plains of Moab on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said to them, and I'll stop there. I'll go into chapter 14 later, but let me pray and we'll do the study together. Lord, thank you for this picture of Joshua who's old and advanced in years and yet there is much to be done. There remains very much land yet to be possessed. Lord, thank you for the picture of the Levites. Thank you for the realization of the work that's to be done and the picture we're gonna soon see of Caleb Lord, I pray that you would minister to all in the hearing of my voice, that you would take the printed word from the pages and place them on the tablets of our hearts. We ask, Lord, for your blessing. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, have a seat if you would. Joshua was old. Advanced in years, the Lord said to him, you're old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Which brings me to those who are older than me. Not many. Depression can hit you at that age. And that depression is a result of your emptiness of self-indulgence and misery as you look at the problems instead of Jesus. Look unto Jesus, the author and finish of your faith. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, you get older and you tend have a tendency to get old. 
old is a mindset. I've often said about Clint Eastwood, they, they asked him, how do you do things of a young man and you're so much older? He said, because I never let the old man out. And it really is true. The old man is the person that whines and complains and goes through the litany of all their ailments and the pills they're taking and they want someone to listen to them and their world becomes more and more vacant of anyone that really cares because, well, you go there and the only thing you're gonna get is needs. And their life is not one lived in generosity because of just the fear of the economy But what makes the difference between an effective older person and an older person who's just old? Well, one has a smile, one has joy. The outward man fades, but the inward man is getting stronger every day. Their wisdom is such that they bring a blessing every time they open their mouth. There's passion in their eyes because it's a country and a church and a faith that they've invested everything in. They've raised their children and their grandchildren accordingly. And now they look at it and they know that the nation that they were born in has changed drastically and there's a great concern, it's almost like a magnum opus, that they don't say, well, it's working in my lifetime, there'll be enough money to see me to the grave. It's a bummer for the rest of these folks. No, even in their senior years, they're more passionate now than they've ever been because they realize the next generation won't have the blessings they had. And so they work harder. Their time is limited and they're passionate about it. They want to make every day count. They wake up every day, a person who's older but not old, they wake up every day and simply saying, God, what do you want to do today? They don't understand the concept of retirement. They just see themselves being strategically placed with more time and influence than they've ever had before. Well, that's Joshua. Where did Joshua become such a man? Well, he served Moses. He served Moses. When Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water, God miraculously placed him in the palm of his hand and protected him when he gave him the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And Joshua was outside the sphere of God. He was on the mountaintop, but he had to scavenge for scorpions or ants or anything else he could find all 40 days. He was up there waiting patiently to serve the man he'd been tasked to serve. That man would not be allowed to enter the promised land, but Joshua would because not only would he serve Moses all day, but he'd also fight and also give good word on the land and he'd encourage people. Joshua was a go-getter and God allowed him to enter the promised land and take over for Moses. He's inspiring the people even at his age with this courage to go forward as he continues to tell them not to be afraid. He served his whole life and God has made him great. He was invisible. He's such an interesting man. He's Joshua, son of none. And if you look at him and you say, what's your heritage? He says, none. He's, He's a humble man who has served and now God has placed him in a position of leadership. And... He's old and advanced in years. He's accomplished what Moses never did, but he gives credit to Moses. Fascinating. It's like Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was this fire-breathing, well, he called down fire, and he was intense, and he always was gruff with people and short with them, and he walked like John the Baptist, just his face was set like a flint, the Lord in that sense, and, and he's, he's just 
focused. Don't bother me. Well, his heir apparent followed him everywhere. He went everywhere that Elijah went. His name was Elisha. And Elisha was called the mother man of Israel because he had such a tender heart and he spent time with people. And he's following this gruff boss of his all over the land. And finally, Elijah gets tired of it and turns around and says, what do you want from me? And Elisha says, I want a double portion. And Elijah says, that's not mine to give, but if the cloak comes down and covers you when the chariots take, then God has granted that. What Elisha was saying is, I want to be twice the man as you, Elijah. That carried him most of his life. As a matter of fact, he'd be dying on his deathbed of the disease, the last disease he had. And when he would die, they would bury him and his bones would heal people because his life continued on even in the absence of it. His bones were powerful. That's how close he was with the Lord. And as he was lying on his deathbed, the king of Israel comes in and sees him and he says, my father, my father, the chariots and, and he, he, of the Lord. And he's saying of, of Elisha, you're, you're the one that's going to lead us and you're dying. And Elisha with the life that's remaining in his feeble body turns to the king and he says, shoot an arrow out the east window. And this is in second Kings. And he shoots the arrow out the east window. And what he's saying Elisha's saying to the king is, declare war against the enemies that have their boot on the neck of your people. Protect your people. Provide for your people. They have an enemy that wants to kill them, annihilate them, vanquish them. So he shoots the arrow out the east window to placate the old man. And then Elisha says to him, now take the remaining arrows in your quiver and strike the ground. And Elisha taps the ground two or three times and the scripture unprecedentedly says of Elijah that, that he, Elisha, that he got angry. And the word angry in the Hebrew means he exploded in rage. The mother man of Israel, the sweet mother man of Israel who loved people, unleashes on the king. And he says, you struck the ground two or three times. You should have struck it five or six. And what he was saying is, you're young you have something I don't possess. You have physical ability. I'm dying. But there's more passion in this dying body and the bones that will remain than exist in you currently. And he could, he could say that to the king because he had lived it. He looked at Elijah and he says, I don't want to be half the man as you. That seems to be the mantra of, of the world you're raised with great parents and you, you associate with them and you think to yourself, I wish I was half the man as my father. Or a daughter says, I, I wish I was half the woman as my mother. And, and we're content with that, that we're going to give to the next generation half of what we received. But it's the courageous man or woman who says to their heroes, I want to be twice the person as you. You... You're an inspiration and I want to exceed that. That's Joshua. That's Caleb. And Caleb could say this and Joshua could say this because they didn't fear the giants in the land and they inspired people and they lived their whole life in honor of God. And God knew this of Joshua so much so that when he says you're old, but he says you're advanced in years, yet he says there remains very much land yet to be possessed, Joshua. 
Even while acknowledging Joshua's advanced years, God still tells him about a job that needs to be done. No matter how much we've done in our Christian lives, there still remains much to do. While there still is much to do, there can be no satisfaction with the partial inheritance. God wants us to keep pressing on. What the land was to Israel, Jesus is to us. We are to possess all of him and to keep pressing on to have all of Christ. How much of Jesus do you have? How much of the Bible do you possess as yours? Do you walk in the blessings of leading others to Christ, of answered prayer, of meeting the needs of others in God's family? Is that depict you? Are, you? are you a fragrance of the Lord wherever you go that they see in you Christ? Or is it the person that comes in with their litany of ailments and their list of pills that they're consuming and they want to talk about how it was in the past? Is there a passion to serve others and to plant trees of the shade you'll never know? Because that's how a nation grows great. I picked these pictures because they're old men, but they all have something in common. They're shepherds. They shepherd the sheep as Joshua shepherded God's people. We worship youth in our nation. That's why we get rid of pastors when they get gray. The life expectancy of a pastor is not long. In their first five years, it's a 70% attrition rate. And if they get to be older, you don't want them because a pastor can reach 15 years beneath his age and 15 years above his age. And at my age, I, the room should only get the youngest should be 45. And the oldest, you're 75. And after a while, 15 years above and 15 years below, there's nobody. <laughs> I remember what they did to Steve Larson at the church here in town. It made me angry just when he had gained a great amount of wisdom and he was so instrumental in the unity of the pastors in this community, his church removed him. I was sad about that. It devastated the pastoral community. I mean devastated. They didn't take that in consideration, I imagine, in their trustee meetings. But I understand Because the church worships youth, they overlook older folks. They, they don't want to hear what you like in music. And we want to worship what's new. And your old hymns are old hymns. And we tire of that. Music's subjective. Older people are overlooked. All they want you to do is write a check and be quiet. But I have seen in this fellowship that that Joshua and Caleb generation are the most powerful of the saints. Their passion, their commitment, I marvel at that. I, I think what God wants us to see in Joshua is you're advanced in years, but you're still a shepherd of God's people. Then they go on to point out that the other half-tribe, the Reubenites and Gadites, received their inheritance. And the passage describes a portion of land given among Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And then it says, nevertheless, the children did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maacathites. The children of Israel didn't drive them out. Only two small tribes of people were not replaced by the Jewish tribes settling on the east side of the Jordan, the Geshurites and the Maacathites. Now, this is important because David later married a princess of Geshur, and she was the mother of his son Absalom, who rebelled against David. Absalom returned to Geshur and used it as a place to plot against his father David. The Maacathites may have come from, the, from Maka mentioned in Genesis 22, 
who was a nephew of Abraham, later when Sheba rebelled against David, he fled and may have taken refuge in one of the cities of the Mahakathites. And then you drop down to verse 14 of Joshua 13. Only the tribe of Levi had given no, was given no inheritance. The sacrifice of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance. As he said to them, only give to the tribe of Levi. He had given no inheritance. Levi, priestly tribe, was to receive no province such as other tribes received. They would be given certain cities. But what they would re- receive would be the the inheritance of the fire and the sacrifices to God. Instead, the Levites had as their inheritance the offerings that Israel would bring to the Lord. These were their financial security in Israel. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance as he had said to them. Now, the tribe of Levites we relate as Christians to them more than any of the others. We don't own anything. You're just stewards. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. He's entrusted you with a, a lot, a portion. You're stewards. You're going to give an accounting of how you've treated what he's entrusted to your care. And well, those are the Levites. They don't get land Michelle and I have been traveling a lot and we're going to continue traveling through part of November and, I, and I'm tiring of different beds and hotels and, and it, I was thinking how much more difficult it would be if you brought all of your possessions with you to every hotel room and you hung pictures and set the, you know, and, and that's, that's really what we're doing on this earth. Like when we move our house, we're, we're moving to another hotel room because this is, this is not our home. Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, you will be also. You see, he who's been placed in the father's hand, no man can remove. It's the assurance of salvation God declares from the scriptures through the, the mouth of his son. And, and what the Lord is saying is you're not home yet. You're just passing through. You're just passing through. Don't hold on too tight. Don't cling too tightly. That's the mindset of the Levites. They own no property. But you know what's fascinating, living a life like that, where God's provision comes? And that's what my dad said to me. He didn't understand the ministry, and when I decided to leave the industry and go into ministry, my dad said, you are, you're, you're going to be dependent on, on the giving of people for your income. And I said, no, I'm dependent on the Lord. Now, okay, we're going to play semantics. It still comes from their hand. I said, okay. I said, Dad, you were a Navy captain. You're dependent on the, on the taxes that people give. You're a bank vice president. You're dependent on the shareholders and how the business is doing with your customers. You're beholden to them. He goes, you don't understand. I get to go home. And it doesn't follow me. You're going to be their servant. And I said, yeah, you get it. (laughs) He didn't, but. (laughs) It was Gladys Allward who was the inspiration for the end of the seventh happiness. Her character was played by Ingrid Bergman. Tells a story of Gladys Allward who was a missionary to China. She was single. 
She worked as a housekeeper in uh, an aristocrat's home and of the aristocracy of England. She took care of the master bedroom and two of the other bedrooms. It was her responsibility. She was not to be seen or heard. She was to clean it and leave. So much so that she was so good at what she did that she had raised enough money to do the overland mission instead of take a ship, which was cost prohibitive. And no one had ever gone through Bolshevik Russia before, but she was going to. And she was brave. She was short a little money, but she figured she could raise the rest during the trip. And so she gives her notice. She leaves the employment. She's headed to the train station, at which time the master of the house calls the house manager and says, my room is filthy. What has happened? And he said, well, Gladys has left our employment. Why? Did we not pay her enough? She was remarkable. And he said, well, I don't think we can pay her with what she's planning on doing. He says, speak, what are you speaking of? He said, he, she's a missionary and she's going overland through Bolshevik Russia to be a missionary in China. At which point the aristocrat of this home of aristocracy wrote a, a check and gave it to the house manager, says, find her and give her this. And it was the exact remaining money she needed to cross over Bolshevik Russia and get to China. She was very effective Gladys Allward would later say in her memoirs, powerful statement, the true test of a servant is how you act when you're being treated like one. That is a true test. And some people get really good at it the older they get and some people just get tired of it and they get old and grumpy and self-focused. God wants us to be Levites and dependent on him and to look to him. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance as he said to them in Joshua 13, 14, we're told that the Levites had no land for an inheritance but instead had the sacrifices Israel brought to God. They also received a greater inheritance than that, God himself. If you could give me another course of life and I got to repeat it, I would still do this. I... I get to do this. I don't have to, I get to. All the stuff I described earlier, it's true, but I get to see God move in the lives of his, of his people. It, it, that's, what, that's what the Levites, they got to go into the inner chambers. They got, to, they got to see the sacrifice consumed. They got to see God moving. They wore linen because linen breathes, it's cool. You know, being in the presence of the Lord's cool. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance. In the sense there is any tribe Christians are spiritually connected to, it's the tribe of Levi. We're also called priests and have special inheritance in God. And God said to them, many of us are dissatisfied with our place before God. We wish we would have given us something different and we can get even bitter towards God about this. The primary answer to this is to see ourselves as priests and to understand that our real inheritance is God himself. You know, you, you get to a season in your life where you're taking inventory and you realize, I don't have anything to show for this. That's frightening. That's called a midlife crisis. You panic. And, and you think, well, maybe I just missed my youth. And, and I, always, I always thought God did it wrong. I, I, 
You're, you're, you're born, you come into this world naked, you, you go through adolescence and puberty and middle school, and then you graduate and you go to college and then you slave and work when you're young and you don't have time to enjoy the passions of all that because you've got to get into the system and then you get older and everyone peels off because they don't want to read around you because you're getting older and then you got all the cars and everything but nobody cares and you're just driving it with the only person that hasn't left you and you're like hey let's go to Vegas for a buffet we'll do another cruise I would take my boys on a walkabout when they were 13, they turned 14, it was when they became men and, I, and I, I took them to a cemetery and I said, what do you observe? And they said, well, there's a year of birth, year of death, someone's name and a pithy statement or a picture. And on the lion's share of so many of these tombstones is a royal flush or a cruise liner. I'm like, that's what you have to say to the next generation? Really? That? That? Games of chance all night long? when a world is being consumed and your wisdom is being shelved while you sit there as a dealer is exhausted, wants to be with his family and every turn of the cards is controlled by the hand of God anyways. And you find pleasure in that when there's people that need to be discipled and lives that desperately need what God has given you and entrusted to you as a steward. I'm not saying, you know, never do that. I'm saying, is that... Is that what you want the next generation to think is wise? My sons would see some and people would leave scriptures. And you could see their lives mattered, counted. A good name is like a precious fragrance, better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. We only know if your name is a fragrance or a stench depending on how you lived. And if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant of all. And how do you know you're a servant when you see how you act when you're being treated like one? Well, that's Joshua. That's Caleb. They didn't do it for feeble men. They did it for God himself. I want to read to you out of Joshua 14 about Caleb it starts in verse six. It says, then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you've wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. This is Caleb speaking. Behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Some of you are going, why am I still living? A lot of us are asking the same question. Obviously he wants to see a change of heart. The change is your perspective. Think about that. The Lord has kept me alive. I'm this side of the grass. I've got wisdom and I can make a difference. But you won't do it unless it's the plot of land you wanted. That's God's dealings. 
The Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old, and yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then. So is my strength now. Strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain, which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard that in that day how the Anakim were there. They were giants like Goliath. And that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. In the name of Hebron, formerly known as Kirjath Arba, Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, but now it's Hebron, and now it belongs to Caleb. And why? Because at 85 years of age, he was stronger than he'd ever been in his entire life. How does a man get to that place? Because he lives life with joy. Count it all joy. When it says all in the Greek, it means all. Even as you're going through neck-deep mud, count it all joy. God's preparing you for something. He's equipping you for something. He's training you for something. You're going to lead others through the mud because you know how to get through it. There were times you didn't think you could do it, but you're going to do it. And the coolest thing about Caleb, he's like, I'm 85. Listen. I'm not afraid of death. I'd rather think about something else. I want to be serving. I want to be fighting. I want to be committed to the thing I've invested my entire life in, and I'm not going to lose it on my watch. Now, where are the rest of the giants? Let's pummel them. And you're like, dude, Caleb is a beast. And how how do you get to be a beast at 85? It's attitude. And I got news for you. There are some young people in here that are old. And you're old because you're apathetic. And you know what apathy is? Self-indulgence. And there's no joy in it. You're entitled. You're already acting old. It won't be long before you're in Vegas going, where are the shrimp on the buffet line? You're, you're, you're the king, and, and, and Elisha is upset with you. You have no backbone, and you have no courage. You have youth. You have vitality, but you are acting so old, and you're not even older. There's not even any wisdom. You're just old. You do things old people do. You never go outside. You do things old people do. You complain, and you expect someone else to do something for you. You give all the reasons why life is terrible. And you know what it is? It's self-indulgence, it's self-focus. You're looking into yourself, trying to find happiness, and you're an abyss that that pebble, when thrown into that well, will never reach the bottom. Quit looking inwardly and serve outwardly. The test of that is how you're being treated when you're a servant and how you act. And I think that we have much to learn from the Joshua and Caleb generation. Because in the days ahead, there are dangers mounting. 
And you can say, as Hezekiah did, well, you know, it's going to be good in my lifetime, but the rest of them are screwed. Or you can wake up and say, God, I've never had more wisdom. I've never had more passion. It's true. The members of my body are older, but God, your word, which I have relied on and trusted all my life, says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, would you make me young again with passion and get this done? Would you not have me cower from the tasks ahead? And not only am I employing those whose age matches that of Caleb and Joshua, I'm also speaking to the young. Quit acting old. You've been given the gift of life. And if you combine that with wisdom, there's no stopping you. God is going to use you as a mighty instrument to change your generation. And I pray that that happens quickly in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll, um, I'll, be, in, I'll be in Texas. Uh, no, no. I know where the good buffets are here. I'll be in uh, Texas uh, at Wall Builders Conference. I'll be speaking there, and then I'll come back for Sunday service. And then I've got um, Korea. Uh, the event in Korea is very exciting. They're, it's a huge conservative youth movement. That's, they want to start the same as Turning Point USA, but they want to do it in, in Korea. Yeah, yeah. So I'll do that, and then I'll be in Seattle. Um, one of the ways that the women got Heidi St. John to do the Christmas tea is I agreed to go speak at her opening of her new school and speak at her church. Got to do what you got to do. You know what I'm saying? I'm a giver. <laughs> so, But we'll be back with you soon. I'll be here next Sunday, though. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. Mm-hmm.